Goeiemiddag, goeiemorgen, wat is dit? Goeiemorgen, good morning. It's so good to be here and uh, bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, goeie nies bedoel. The good news of Jesus. Today I'm going to speak on the atonement and our understanding of the atonement. Uh, when uh, Pastor Peter was speaking in his session, I thought, let me change my message and preach on what it means to be born again. And uh, because I, I, I've got a, a message on that, if you're going to go and watch on the web, what does it mean to be born again? I think it will really help us when it comes to generosity and not living in fear in this world. Because what we have said, and I'm just going to give you a quick thing. We have said that born again is for the spirit. My spirit gets born again. That's what we thought, but that's not what Jesus said to Nicodemus. It's challenging to, I haven't heard anybody say it. But it, other people don't have to say it for it to be true. As God, if God says it and I say it, then it's fine. Amen. But when Nicodemus came to Jesus, or Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus understood exactly what Jesus said. But he didn't know how it was possible. He said, how is it possible for my physical body to be reborn? And Jesus said, let me explain to you. Take the thing just to verse 16. He says, you need an only begotten from the dead. You need a man that has conquered physical death in his body that was born not from Mary, but from the father out of the grave. And he will make it possible for your body to be physically reborn, but from the spirit and not your mother or your father. And when you know that truth, this flesh knows it is saved. Then it will not lust after the things of this world to try and live forever. Because it knows it's living forever. Amen. And that's how generosity will be born and so forth. Hallelujah. I know it challenges. But it's good to be stretched. It's good to be challenged. Amen. I thank God for His grace because... As Pastor Peter says, you know, as a white man sitting here, it's a challenging thing that he said. You know, it's challenging for white people to hear that. It's challenging to hear, you know, if especially you come out, come, I was born under the apartheid era, man. You know, um, we, we grew up in segregation. Uh, and then later on, as a child, I mean, I grew up as a child, I, I didn't know what was going on. When it, I went to the war in Angola, not even knowing why I go. Because that's the thing you do. Like, you go to school, then you go to high school, then you go to the army. Then you go to university, then you get your wife, you get married, the next thing you do is you have kids. That's how I lived. And later on realized what is going on. But I thank you for mentioning that, because unless we talk about those things, and Take the scriptures and take the challenges and see what does the scripture say? What can we open ourselves up to for God to do in us? How will, if we never put it on the table, we can never actually get to what God says about it. Amen. So that's good. Glory to God. Thank you, Pastor Peter. Amen. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the atonement, but as an introduction, I want to say... That Lester, I want to start as an introduction and say that the Bible, and when it comes to God and relationship with Him, everything is built on trust. Very important. It's built on trust. The Bible says that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Very important, only begotten son doesn't talk about baby Jesus. For those that like theology a little bit, note that. Doesn't talk about baby Jesus. Psalm 2 says, as pertaining to the resurrection, he says, when he raised Christ from the dead, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. 
So God has not presented us with a baby Jesus. He says a child was born, but a son was given. So the one that solves my problem is somebody that is above death and above sin. And news for everybody, Jesus is president of the whole world. He's my president. Paul preached it so hard that they wanted to kill him and because he said Caesar is not king, Jesus is king. He preached it politically. Amen. I want to tell you Jesus is president. Get used to it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm under his rule. He rules in my life. He sets me free. He brings me his life. It's not about my works, but it's about God's ability to keep his promise that he made to man, wherein he said, I'll make you holy. Amen. Amen. Now, when he says, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. What does that word believe mean? That word believe means to trust to trust, you must trust God. You must trust Jesus in order not to perish but have everlasting life. Now, the word trust, according to Webster's Dictionary, means to have your mind at rest in the integrity of another. Trust means to have your mind at rest. Say rest. In the integrity of another. So he gave an only begotten, a resurrected Jesus. So that our minds can go to rest at the integrity of God. To take a man that died in sin without ending his sin. Dying in sin, just trusting the father. To see what the father will do if he dies in all sin. Now listen to this, man. <laughs> Jesus was the innocent lamb of God, the sinless lamb of God. He came to take the sin of the world on him, okay? God wants us to trust him. Now, what God is telling us, we forget the promise of God. God's promise to us is, do you see me? The fullness of what I am, you will manifest bodily. Trust me. Now we say, God, how can we trust you? We are full of sin. We've got weakness. We've got poverty. We've got this. We've got that. How can I trust you? Then God says, let me show you. I'll take all of your sin. I will take all of your death. Then I'll put it on one man, and he will trust me, and then I'll demonstrate in him what I can do to a man that trusts me and dies in his sin. Pentecostal ding was broer. I mean, we, we taught the gospel this way, under Pentecostal charismatic move. It was all about the art on when to confess your sin. If you make an accident with your car, you must make it in a way that you at least have one breath to say sorry. You must just have one breath to say sorry, Lord, or, or at least the name Jesus. I remember I was in an aeroplane. It was a six-seater. We're flying to um, Zambia to preach the gospel. And we were flying at 10,000 feet in that engine. That engine died. I tell you, we had no doctrinal differences amongst those preachers. We were in unity, hallelujah. We don't care if you baptize once or three times. We didn't even care tithing or no tithing. We just said, the Yerimudai engine. That engine must start now. That's what we said. And, the, and, and, and when that engine died, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, Jesus. And the pastor next to me, 
he said, what's going on? What's going on? And then after it fell 1,500 feet or whatever, and he got the thing going again. And there we go. And um, we landed, and I feel so sorry for the past. They felt so guilty. He said, Bertie, I feel so bad because you called on Jesus, and I didn't even have the name Jesus in my last breath. <laughs> Guilt, grabbing the man, you know. And that is born from not really trusting God because God is not portrayed as a God of integrity towards sinners. If God made, if you made somebody a promise, then you keep to your promise. That's it. God promised the world eternal life. That's it. Eternal life is not a place. It's a condition. If you want to know what that condition looks like, you go to Jesus' grave, you see there's nobody there, that person lives forever and he cannot die. In the fullness of God, Jesus bodily knows what it is to have no beginning and no end. Bodily. And that's what God promised me and you. Now, let me tell you, you cannot attain that by baking biscuits for your neighbor. Or giving money to a church or anything. The only way you can attain that is by God keeping his promise. And the problem that we have is we see mortal flesh, we see sin in our lives, we see negative things in our lives, and we don't know if God can be faithful to us in keeping his promise. Then God said, let me take a man and let all sin and all death be upon him, and he will hang upon the cross. I will say he is my son, but there will be no sign that he's my son. He will look like a cursed man. And he will hang upon that cross, and then uh, the, the challenge will come to him, remove, your, remove this curse from your life. Stop your own sin. Stop this death that is on you, if you're truly the son of God. But he will trust me until he dies. And then I will show what I can do with a, a man's life that has got sickness, weakness, death, and Unto death, dying, I can show what I can do to him if he just trusts me. And then he raised him up without sin and without death. And he made him president of the whole world. And he is the Lord and the ruler. And he has poured out his spirit now on all flesh. To do what? To take flesh and glorify it that it looks like the resurrected Son of God. And that's how he solves sin in the flesh. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Bro, I haven't even done the introduction, man. The, the message that is inside God is a message that says, I want people to feel what it feels like. To be me. I believe that's why God made us from the dust of the earth. He made us from nothing. So that when he fills that nothing. That everything would be him. I hope you hear what I'm saying. It's like if you drink wine. And it's a good wine. You want it in a very thin glass. So that you can enjoy the wine. You don't care for the glass. You want the, you want the fullness of the wine. So we are made from dust, something very thin. So that when God is poured out, that every part of us is full of God. Amen. Amen. Because the reason why God made man, I believe, is so that there can be someone else that feels what it feels like. To share in the life of God. I want somebody to feel what it feels like to have no beginning and no end. So then I'll take something that has a beginning. Dust from the earth. Make a man. But I'll glorify it that it will experientially know what it is not to begin or end. And know what it is to be full of love and kindness and generosity and peace and all those kind of things. That's God's job. Not ours. 
We, but the thing is, can we trust Him? Now, trust is, like I said, when your mind rests in the integrity of another. Now, when it comes to our atonement model, and this can be challenging for some, our atonement model does not, the way I traditionally preached it for many years, does not show integrity. Doesn't show integrity. If you go to a children's church and you teach people that there was a father that is so holy that if his child sins because of his righteousness and his holiness, he has to punish with death. The children get scared. But then you just slap the black book on top of that and you say, look at Isaiah 53, 10, it pleased the father to bruise him. And then it must be okay. But the heart says something's wrong. And just be honest with yourself. The model that we've had was Adam sinned, God made Adam. Adam sinned. God is righteous, therefore he has to punish. Now he lives his righteousness and his love simultaneously by saying, I am not going to punish them, but because I'm righteous. I've preached this in grace for many years. <laughs> but because he's righteous and he has to punish, and this is how the law works, he's going to punish his son and not you. And that was very good news to us. Very good news. Hallelujah. Jesus is beaten. S sorry, Jesus, but. But the father is righteous and he has to punish. That makes the law God and not God, God. Because if you've broken a law and righteousness is measured by the law and not the love of a father, we are going to say we understand. And I do believe in the scriptures we can use the legalistic way to explain the atonement. Definitely. If you go to a, 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 a Jew, a legalistic person, you can use a legalistic atonement model and he will understand. But if you go to people that are family orientated, they will start to say, man, I'm a normal father and I'm not going to punish one of my children with death if he disobeys me. Much less will I, will I take one of my innocent children and punish him so that he doesn't have to be punished so that the wrath can be out of my heart. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But yet that is what we believe. We believe that. That is our atonement model. Our atonement model actually makes the father the problem and not sin and death. It's like if I say to my son, don't drive my car. Now he drives the car and wrecks it. And then he says, just don't let dad find out. It means in his eyes, the car that's wrecked is not the problem, but the father is the problem. And we've had that model in the church. The father is the problem. Actually, the blood of Jesus basically washed the father. It's the wrong way around. The blood doesn't wash the father from a guilty conscience. When he's conscious of your guilt, conscious of your sins. No, the blood of Jesus is for us, not for him. His mind doesn't need a good washing. His mind is okay. Now, atonement model was one of, there's a very holy, very righteous father with a Jesus that's an in-between that saves us from the justice of God. And the way he saves us from justice is that justice will be served on Jesus by him being punished so that I, for the rest of my life, can have a legal transaction to tell God, I don't care if you're angry or not, Jesus paid for me. 
But in, this, in the depth of our hearts, we're not really having our minds at rest in the integrity of God. Because that model does not portray integrity. According to our understanding of what integrity would be. Because normal parents would not do that. You know, we've had the idea, God was in heaven and he sat there and his father said to the son, what shall we do today? He says, well, why don't we just make a heaven and an earth? And then the Holy Spirit says, why will we do that? He says, man, then we put people on there. And then, and then well, we give them a nice garden and they can work in the garden. And then if they, uh, then the son asked the father, so okay, if they work there, I mean, what's the purpose? Well, at least then we'll have people to look after our garden. Okay, so and what if they do what we say they must do? No, then they can continue to live in the garden. And what if they don't? No, then we punish them with death and send them to hell. It doesn't sound right, man. It's challenging for us. But it is something, although you can find scripture to kind of build that in your heart, you say, something's not right. But I wanna, I've got good news for you. The atonement model, the shedding of blood, the wrath of God, all those things can easily be explained inside a father-son love relationship scripturally. And I would like to share that with you. First, we need to understand that God didn't make us for the purpose of serving him. Who of us have children for the purpose of washing the car? Come on. I mean, there's my son, both my sons here doing the video work. I didn't, I wasn't in need of videographers. Then I said to my wife, listen, man, the ministry going to grow one day. Do you want to do camera work? Nah. Well, let's have two boys that can help us because they can mow the lawn, pick up the dog poo, and and wash the car and do camera work. Glory to God. None of us had children for the purpose of serving us. Neither did any one of us have children for the purpose of singing worship songs to us. Nobody. We don't have children for the purpose of praising us. Have you realized you serve your child much more than what he would ever serve you? Have you realized that you speak well of your child more than what he would ever speak well of you? I've see, said more words of praise to my kids than what they've ever said to me. And we don't feel that's bad. We feel that's normal. I'm a father. I know my appraisal builds him, gives him life, blesses him. That is what, what we do. We, everything we have. I was thinking, you know, once my kids are, now, out of the house, and dan, jy weet, as geld nou nie baie is nie, sal ek maar een kar koop wat net twee dieren het, want vier dieren kar is dan dier, joh. Okay, so, so what I said is, once the kids are out of the house, I'll be fair, because you know, money might be not so much, so I'll rather buy a car with two doors than with four doors. That's what I said. Okay, so... Um, but then I realized, what if these kids of mine now have children? So I need to buy a bigger car with more doors. Because your whole life is to serve them. That's what Jesus says. I have not come to be served, but to serve. So if we can realize, God, why have you made me? I've made you to serve you with my life. I've made you to have eternal life. I've made you to have my peace. I've made you to speak well of you to the point that who and what I am is fully born in you, that you can feel what it feels like to start to speak well of others, that you can feel what it feels like to live forever as a human being. That is why my... He, God was not, it's, it's, it wasn't like there wasn't enough angels to stroke God's ego kind of a thing. No, God wasn't in need of worship when he made us. He made us for the purpose of enjoying his glory. Now, my question to you is this. What would be the worst news to God? The worst news to God. 
If we look at what bad news to God is, we can look at what good news to God would be. What is the worst news to God? His son that was born, that's busy growing up, all of a sudden is now part, death took part of him. He's going to die. The worst news to God, when God says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't like, was jy manikie, wat jy het ons van die appel geëet, joh. Where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? I want to sort you out. No. It was, Adam was normally, I'm just speaking human, like a man. Adam was normally at five o'clock at the big green tree. And five o'clock God comes there and Adam is not there. How does a father feel if his son is not there? If my son leaves Stellenbosch and he drives to, uh, to Malmesbury and I know he must be there at about six. 6.20, I'm calling, man. 6.15, where are you? That where are you is not guilt-orientated, it's care-orientated. Where are you? With a call of, I want you safe. You see, what happened was, man, the man that God made, started to die. And that was the worst news to God. It's like a child putting his finger in the electricity socket. When he puts his finger in there, what happens? Electricity is killing him. The power is killing him. And what would salvation be? You have to switch death off. You have to switch death off. The problem is death. The problem is not man's wrong action. The problem is death and God had to deal with death. He had to conquer death because his child's dying, man. If I've got an, a, a child that's a wonderful athlete and he can do the 100 meters in 10 seconds and all of a sudden he starts to run it at 11 seconds, and then 12 seconds, and he's going slower and slower. And uh, I, I take him to the doctor, what's going on? And we find out he's got cancer. I'm definitely not even bringing into the equation his running times. Why? Because there's something that wants to kill my son. And I have to kill what is killing my son. So God said to Adam, don't put your finger in the electricity socket. I, don't have a, I can't teach now on what that tree is, but don't put your finger in there. Because if you put it in there, that thing's going to kill you. Then he puts his finger in there and death comes to his man and he has to switch the power of death and death itself off. And that would then be called atonement. It has got nothing to do with an angry father. It's got everything to do with a loving father that wants to restore life. That's what it's got to do with. Let me define justice. Justice, this is my definition of justice. I didn't find it in a dictionary. Maybe one day they will bring it into a dictionary. That's how language works. So you've got the first um, touch of this. <laughs> My definition of justice is that which can uphold the original intent. So if God dreamt to have a man that can live forever as his very best friend, anything that will not make that come true would be unjust and justice would be defined in bringing that forth. Let me give you another example. If I fly, if, if a businessman comes to me and says to me, Bertie, here's $10,000 to fly business class to America. And I say, thank you very much. And I take the $10,000, I buy a normal seat in the economy, and I take the other money, and I use it for something else, it will be unjust. Why? Because it's not used for the original intent. The original intent is not reached. 
in the very same way, it is unjust for man to die. It's unjust for you to be bound by sin in the eyes of God. And he has sent his son to justify you. Justify is a term which is measured by what is right and wrong in the mind of the father. In the mind of the father, it's not right that his people are bound in sin. It's not right that they are dying. It's not right that their life is temporal. He wants them to have eternal life. And he had to switch death off. And we know how he did it. He entered death and then was raised from the dead. And that's atonement. At one mint. Atone. At one mint. He made us one with him again. How? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, let us just look at justice quickly. And then we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Justice. Uh, you can bring slide number six up for me, please. This is Isaiah 1. Verse 17, let's look at what just, judgment and justice is, the meaning of it. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. So what is judgment? To relieve the oppressed. That is judgment. Judge the fatherless. Plea for the widow. How do you judge the fatherless? Judgment is such a negative word. But he says there, judge the fatherless. How do you bring judgment to the fatherless? You bring justice to the fatherless. We've just heard the previous session about justice and judgment. You see, I think in the church, we, our concept of what justice is and what right and wrong is has been so intervened, interwoven into our atonement theory that we would say, you better work before you can have something. Because justice is defined by your works and a legalistic system with do's and don'ts and punishments and rewards. And we've taken that model and placed it on the atonement theory. And then we want to look at God and trust Him. It's very difficult. It is almost impossible to do that. But here it says, judge the fatherless. How do you bring justice to the fatherless? He needs a father. He needs somebody to care for him. He needs somebody to help him. That's justice. So if God comes to justify us, it doesn't mean he comes to take punishment. He comes to remove punishment. He comes to remove death. And that's why the cross and the resurrection was needed. Right, verse 12 there. O house of David, thus says Jehovah, execute justice in the morning and deliver him that is robbed out of the hand of the oppressor. <laughs> Let me read it. See it. Jeremiah 12, the 21, 12. O house of David, thus says Jehovah. This is a prophetic word unto Jesus. Execute justice in the morning. And the woman came to the grave in the morning. And they saw God's justice executed. <laughs> what does it say? And deliver him that is robbed out of the hand of the oppressor. Lest my wrath go forth like a fire and burn so that none can quench it because of evil of your doings. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, we need justice. What is justice? What is judgment? God's judgment is end death, man. This is something you, you cannot really say, but I'm going to say it. The Jews oppressed the whole world for many years. And this is why. They had the prophets. They were supposed to feed the dogs. That's the dogs. They were supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles, but they were not. They kept it for themselves. And God said, it's not just that people are walking in bondage, not knowing I'm sending a Messiah for the whole world. They took the Messiah for themselves, and it's not for all people. And that's unjust, but I want to bring justice. And what is my justice? I will deliver him that is robbed. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
The spirit behind that is Satan's spirit that robbed man from the life that God has promised him in the beginning. And God says, I want justice done and life restored to my people. Zechariah 7, 9. Thus is the Lord Almighty. Judge righteous judgment and deal mercifully and compassionately everyone to his brother. So how do you do a righteous judgment to be merciful? Isaiah 30, 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion for the Lord is the God of justice. Can you see justice has got to do with compassion and not punishment? Can you see justice has got to do with restoration and not punishment? Matthew 12, 18, one of my favorite verses. Behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. He will put my, uh, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He'll judge the Gentiles. How? He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flux shall he not quench, till he sent forth judgment unto victory. So what is judgment? It's the victory power of God. Hallelujah. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He's excellent in power and in judgment and plenty in justice. He will not afflict. <laughs> Job. Now we say, He will afflict. But He will not afflict us. He will afflict His Son. Can you bring that picture up for me, please, that I have, that I gave you? Which one is the father? Show me the other picture. Where's the father? Is the father in the Roman? Come on. <laughs> is the father in the Roman or is God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself come on come on our picture in our subconscious mind is the father is the Roman come on the father is in the Roman the Roman is led by the Holy Spirit now Beating the son because the father needs blood. We need blood, not the father. We need to see man enter into death, blood flow. We need to see that. So that when he's raised, that our minds can be clean from we, we long for or lust after life. Because our guilty, guilty means God has got eternal life. I don't have it. He's in eternal life, heavier than me. He outweighs me. I don't have, he has. Now, when the blood of Jesus flowed and his life flowed out of him and the father raised him from the dead as a human and as a human being living forever in the fullness of God, he has bodily the fullness of God at the right hand of the father. Now we as humans, when we stand before God, we don't have a guilty conscience anymore, a lack consciousness. Why? Because there's a human in the Godhead that rules over us, that makes what's true in God, true in us by his doing. I'm preaching the gospel to you. The good news. So, I cannot, it's impossible for me, to see the father in the Roman. No. The father is on this side. The father is on this side. I want to read to you a scripture. You? You know, I see with this iPad. I'm such a new creation that my fingerprint doesn't work on this thing. It used to work yesterday. I'm being transformed. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53. Let's go to slide number eight. 
It says, I'm sorry, they, they run between the slide eight there. Yeah, that's it. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces of him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Despised by who? By the father? No, he said, this is my beloved son. Surely he has borne our griefs. The reason why he was so bloody, cursed and everything was he was bearing what we gave him. He carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Was he stricken, smitten of God and afflicted? No, we esteemed. The Jewish system said, if you have sickness, if you have disease, if, you have, if you're hanging on a cross, you are the curse of God. No, you're the, the reason why man is cursed is because he tries by his own power. And Jesus entered the curse that man brought over himself. And then we thought it was the Father that punished him. No, it's not the Father that punished him. It was him that entered into the punishment of trying to live by your own power. He entered our death right there. And then we sit with verse 10. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he shall make his soul an offering for sin. Now, how do you deal with that scripture? I'm going to read verse 10 at the bottom here. Go to the next slide. I think I've made it bigger there. This is the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a very accurate Old Testament translation, which was done hundreds of years before Christ by 70 rabbis that understood the Hebrew and they translated into Greek. And now we've taken that Greek translated into English. And this is what those 70 rabbis of that time thought that scripture meant. And the Lord also is pleased to purge him of his stroke. Hallelujah. So what happened was man entered into death. God said, let me restore man's faith in me. Let me enter their death. Let me conquer their death, that they can trust me, that I can help them. And should Jesus be willing to do that and enter into that death, I will be so pleased to raise him from the dead. This is called the restorative justice of God. People in jails, we know punitive justice doesn't work. It doesn't work. You cannot take somebody from the street that has stolen something, lock him up in a cell room and think that he's going to be better after five years. No, unless our justice system is a system that says it is not just that a man is bound by theft and murder and raping people. It's not just that it's like that. Let us take him to a facility to protect him and help him and deliver him so that what is just for that man can take place, that he can live in society and be happy and, and bless people. Unless, I mean, we know that is how justice is supposed to work. But when it comes to God, we want to use the old jail system. No, what we already know, the, the, the unbelievers are already saying the punitive system doesn't work. It must be restorative. But I want to tell you, it is the Spirit of God working already in governments, working already in people, telling them, my system is a restorative justice system. I've come to restore. I've come to restore people. The Lord also is Pleased to purge him of his stroke if he can give him an offering for sin. I don't have verse 11 there. I just want to read verse, um, verse 11 quickly. And I'm going to end off for the first time. <laughs> I read this in the Apostolic Bible Polyglot. It says, and the Lord willed to cleanse him of his beating. But he was not, we thought he was beaten of the Father. But he was beaten of us. And then it says, but the Lord willed to cleanse him of that. And when he cleansed him of that, in raising him from the dead, he offered unto us a only begotten from the dead to make what's true in him true in us.
by his duty. Verse 11, and the Lord willed by his hand to remove misery off his soul, to show him light. Verse 11, and the Lord willed to remove misery from his soul, because he entered our misery, man. And we esteemed him smitten of God. No, we it was our death that he was carrying. You know, if we can see that what is there is us. And we can see that it is us dying there. It's not the anger of the father being appeased. It is us dying. And it's our death. Then we will be able to say it's our resurrection. And we will be saying it's our life. We will find generosity and kindness and peace by the doing of God. Now, I don't have time to explain all the things, but I think this is enough for you to start to go and study. Just go and study now. We've got a loving father. I tell you, as we start to see the atonement correctly, as we start to see what born again is correctly, as we start to see these things correctly, we will find fruit in this world. I want to tell you, when we look at justice systems and we look at all those kind of things, a lot of it has got to do with what we believe about God. If God can do it, then we can do it. As God straf, dan kan ons ook ons straf. But if we say that God does not inflict God restores, and we start to say we are born of him. We will approach things differently. If politicians can be born from this grace message, things will change, man. Things will change. This is why this is called the grace of God. Grace means influence. God entered into humanity into our death and everything. And he said, well, I know they will think it's my father beating me, but they'll find out. The spirit will lead them in all truth. And then I will be raised from the dead. You know, when Barack Obama sat down in the Oval Office, it meant so much for black people all over the world. Why? Because we said, my kind is in the Oval Office. Isn't it? Meant something to black people all over. All of a sudden, every black man was an American. (laughs) Isn't it? Now, what if a human is seated at the right hand of God? Our kind is at the right hand of God bodily. Bodily. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and my body is being born again by the Holy Spirit I don't have to enter my mother's womb it is not my spirit getting born again I am being born anew from the Almighty God my brain start to think differently my emotions my feelings everything changes because God has come and he has reconciled the world unto himself they were in death he was in life he says i take you to life hallelujah just show that picture again quickly and i end off with this where's the father (laughs) hallelujah we never had an angry father we always had a good father It was the Old Testament father that showed us his kindness. And he entered into a covenant with Israel. And you know what that law covenant with Israel was? It was to show the Jews. Listen, Jews, you think you're special by the flesh? Your flesh cannot keep this. You you say the Gentiles are already guilty in need of mercy. And you think you're okay, but here's the law. And then as they obeyed the law, they realized that the whole world is in need of a savior, not just the Gentiles. That's the law, man. And here we find God switching death off. 
my God killed death, man. I give you some nuggets. Go and study. But many know, don't kill me now before you've studied. Study. I've studied these things. The Lord has revealed to me. There are other people that also sees this. Let us be open to God as a God that we can understand. If your child is kidnapped and becomes a slave in another country and the farmer says you must make a hundred bricks a day and then you'll be blessed and he makes his hundred bricks and the farmer blesses him does the father of the child that's kidnapped think it's righteous it's righteous according to the farmer because he's got a law through which he relates to the slave but the father in the African country, he says it's unjust that he's even working there. Right. He's got his own land, man. What's just is if he gets set free, I don't care how blessed or cursed he is there, I don't care. If that, farmer, if, if that son cusses out the farmer, do you think that the father at home cares about that cuss word? No. He says it's unjust that my son is so oppressed that he has to use foul language, man. I want justice to take place, and the justice would be to kill the old system and bring the son home. Father, I want to thank you that you've always been a good father. I want to thank you that you've come to justify us. Lord, we can describe this in law terms as well, but it's so much beautiful, more beautiful to describe it in family terms. You've come to justify us to have your original intent alive in us. We stand before you, lacking nothing, for the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you bodily, and we have that fullness. And what we are might not yet appear, but you will prove who your sons are. And we rest on you. Thank you for the atonement in Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you very much. Come on, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Come on.